The Penn State Nittany Lions are the national champions. Penn State 17, Pitt 10, and approximately a thousand things for us to talk about. Welcome to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. I am college football editor Matt Brown, joined as always by the Athletic Nittany Lions writer Audrey Snyder. Audrey, where do we even begin <laughs> after Saturday? Because they gave us Man, plenty to fill time The with. gift <laughs> that keeps on giving, Matt, Penn State and non-conference play. I, wow, I mean, I think we both were predicting something along the lines of like 35 to 10, a Penn State win. Something similar to the last two years. Yeah, I did not see 17-10 coming for the Nittany Lions. Something similar to 1999. Yeah, I mean, big, <laughs> big field goal, um, both misses for, for, Penn, or for Pitt rather uh, throughout the years, but... I think, Matt, let's start with the offense because through three games, and I try to take this approach in in terms of, okay, think of the season in different chapters, different segments. So now that there's, you know, three out of 12, three out of 13, I'm sure people are hoping for, what have we seen through these three games? Well, I think this game was very similar to Buffalo um, in a few regards, but I do think that you look at Penn State's offense and – There was no consistency. There was no rhythm. And when they did get into a rhythm and had a nice 13-play, 88-yard drive in the third quarter with Noah Cain, they stunningly did not go back to him for the rest of the game. So I guess, Matt, let's just start there with the offense. Uh, What surprised you most throughout that slugfest of a 17-10 win for Penn State? Yeah, it's it's weird because, okay, here here, Penn State is 3-0. They beat a rival in the 100th and, as of now, final meeting. Like, that's all good. You should celebrate every win. And Pitt has beaten some good teams in recent years, despite some, despite being mediocre most years. Mm-hmm. With that said, <laughs> there are definitely a lot of things for Penn State to clean up in what seems like a well-timed off week. Uh, and for me, it's I just don't understand what they're doing in the running game. Mm-hmm. And That makes just, two of us. pointed it out. I mean... Journey Brown had the 85-yard run and, but you know, it had a couple other nice plays. But mostly, you know, the, the running game didn't do much in the first half beyond his 85-yard run, which was obviously crucial. Uh, and then Noah Kane comes in and had six carries for 40 yards, had a catch as well, had the touchdown. And that was literally the only drive we saw him in. And it's like, okay, I understand that they came into non-conference play wanting to rotate backs and figure out who the best is and who makes sense in different situations and – and all of that, it's, you know, it's not the preseason, but it's still kind of a, a way to, before the bye week, you have three games that are not in conference play, don't count the conference standings, right. and you're trying to figure things out. But they talked about how they wanted to ride the hot hand and things like that, and we have seen no evidence of that. It's just been like this haphazard shuffle. You know what it reminds me of, I, I just don't understand. When you said <laughs> haphazard shuffle, in a way, it kind of reminds me of the the problem, the weird scene on the sideline that used to be between uh, Matt McGloin and Rob Bolden, where it's like every series, frantically, who's <laughs> yes. going in? Quick, run and get your helmet. I mean, th- these guys know who's going in. And Penn State, James Franklin talked about it a little bit last week, that they, they go through, they try and predetermine, you know, okay, maybe Journey Brown's going to get two series. Then Devin Ford, who was the second back on uh, leapfrogging, uh, leapfrogging Ricky Slade, as my mind goes blank, um, 
you know well Ricky Slade had four carries for four yards so forgive us if we forgot that they're using him he is yeah. still seventh on the he's still behind Will Levis in rushing by the way wow Will Levis did not play on Saturday <laughs> I didn't realize or no, sorry wait sorry they're tied they're tied for six at 21 yards I mean it's just to me it's like maybe they're predetermining too much to an extent I wonder I mean I was all about and I mentioned it on Thursday in the podcast that you know I thought Journey Brown deserved to get a start I thought he deserved a longer look in the second half against Buffalo so he comes out with the one big run, but really beyond that, Matt, I mean, the rest of his runs weren't particularly great, and we can get into the offensive line as well because that also was not particularly great. But I just I do not understand what's going on with Noah Kane. Is there something more, you know, than what meets the eye here? I mean, do they have concerns about him in pass protection? Is there something else? I mean, they don't talk about injuries, so he seems to be healthy, seems to be fine. Is there something there? Uh, because I just do not understand why it was so obvious to everyone watching this game, um, us included. I remember tweeting out, hey, going into the fourth quarter, I'd put Noah Kane in the game. Curious to see what Penn State does. And then I'm like, oh, yep, nope, he's not out there. Um, But the fact that James Franklin, after the game, then said, yeah, on the headset, that was one of the things right after the game that came up is we probably should have had Noah Kane in there because of his running style. That's really concerning. I mean, if it's so obvious to everybody else, and listen, I... These people get paid for a reason. Penn State's been highly successful with their coaching staff for a reason. But if it's so obvious to everyone else, I just really wonder, are they trying to get, you know, overthink things and be too cute at times? I mean, you've prided yourself all offseason, yes. <laughs> all spring on Noah Kane. He's going to fall forward. He's going to get you yards. So when it's third and two, you then go with your smallest back in Devin Ford. And that's not a knock on Devin Ford, but... In that situation, I just have no idea what they were doing. And then it's third and four with the game on the with trying to run the clock out, and you throw it deep. Oh my lord! Yeah, let's let's get to that, Matt. Good God! I think we're gonna get to a lot of things. Wow! (laughs) (laughs) This might be our most spirited podcast yet. Um, And they won. They won. Like it's it's a weird thing. Again, it's like weird to be like sound doom and gloom again. But it's I, I think a lot of fans out there are probably feeling the same thing after this game. My, you know, my dad was at the game and comes home and says, I've never seen 80,000 people just stand there after the game kind of like stunned. Like, yeah. It, it just, it was like, nobody really knew what to think about this game. Uh, because again, they beat a rival. It was, it was a fun game to watch. I mean, it was a dramatic game. It, it had a lot of twisted turns for a game that only had uh, 27 points, but it was just, you know, a, a lot of things that kind of built up, it's just made you question what the plan was on offense because obviously they have a plan with how they want to rotate, rotate the running backs. But I question a lot of the plans <laughs> because, you know, it, 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 the lack of consistency for the running game comes down to a few things to me. It's okay. Part of it could be they're just not letting any of these guys get in any sort of rhythm except for Noah Kane once. But then part of it is they're just not putting the running game in favorable situations. And, you know, so one of the numbers that we pulled out this week from our our friends at Sports Info Solutions. Good friends. Charts every game. Good friends at Sports Info Solutions. Great numbers. Is on, so Sean Clifford was 0 for 8 on passes thrown 20 yards downfield or more in this game. Six of those incompletions were on first down. So they took a lot of deep shots on first down that are low percentage plays, so you're automatically behind the chains when you miss, and they, they missed all of them this week. All of and them. Then on, Repeat, Matt, all on, of them. All of them. Mm-hmm. So on second and 10 or more this year, Penn State has rushed, uh, well, in this game, they rushed eight times for four yards on second and 10 or more. 
And this year, they have rushed 13 times for five yards on second and 10 or more. So I just feel like there's some kind of predictability here, too. Yeah. Like, it's weird because for decades in the Paterno era, a big complaint, I think, for fans was, oh, my God, they're so predictable. They just run up the middle on <laughs> first down, and then they don't throw it to third yeah. down. And now it's like, okay, I appreciate taking the deep shots on first down. Like, that, that's fine. not a bad that's idea. Fine, yeah. And it plays an aggressive defense where – if you can get open, you can burn them downfield. That's that's kind of what happens with the way Pitt plays defense. But Pitt got pressure, and Penn State didn't get separation against the cornerbacks, and Clifford was not accurate. And it didn't work. And then you get into these situations where they, they're aggressive, and then they immediately follow that up by going conservative and running up the middle, and it gets stuffed. And based on the numbers this year, clearly defenses see that because it's not working. Yeah, I and that, Matt, to me, that goes back to – when you <laughs> all those numbers are out there, right? They're not connecting on their shot plays. And that was something they did not meet their explosive play benchmark. Um, they came in at less than 13%, which was their lowest this season. Uh, and it was also their lowest dating back to last year at Rutgers, which for a strange reason, they were not uh, very explosive that afternoon. That was a strange game. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it was weird. I think the, I mean, the thing, the good thing, I guess, if, if you're looking for some silver linings out of this one, was that, yes, they took those shots. That's good to some extent. It was good that K.J. Hamler was open and that he had separation against press man. Very bad that they couldn't connect on those, but at least, I mean, it shows you that they, they can potentially make that work. That's correctable. But... And you do have to give credit to Pitt, their defense. Like, yeah. Pat Narduzzi, you can you can criticize him for several things. Including <laughs> a field goal, yeah. Later. <laughs> but he has a track record as a defensive coach, and I'm and I'm sure that Pitt threw everything that they they had at this. Game. Absolutely, you know they badly wanted to win this game. They're an aggressive defense. They they their cornerbacks, their defense backs played really well. They did. You know there were some Clifford missed some throws, but their defense backs also played well, and their defensive front, despite which again is a concern for the Penn State offensive line, but they you know they brought pressure and the defensive front, which was down you know two starters coming into the game. They, they relentlessly hit Clifford, made him uncomfortable. Clifford showed toughness standing in there. He took hit after hit. Uh, but it's still, it's you got to give credit to Pitt, but there was so much to be concerned about because it's not like they haven't seen Pitt before and, and you know aren't prepared for what Narduzzi is going to do. And it was almost a, a reverse script of last year where Pitt was, was running all over them uh, quite a bit. This year, Penn State did a great job bottling up the run, tremendous job against the run, but really got gashed um, through the air. However, Matt... Sticking on this offense and these third downs and their inconsistencies, I do not understand, and I'm sure a lot of people out there don't understand, why on third and four, the game on the line, you, as we just mentioned, under three minutes left, you have not connected on your shot plays of 20-plus yards through the air. Clifford was 0 for 8. Third and four, why are you launching the ball all the way down the field when you... That was just a strange sequence in general. I mean, I I just... These are the kind of instances, and I wrote about it in a pond for the review. It's perplexing. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I think pops up too many times for a top 15 team. I mean, get Pitt to burn their time out. You know, you've got one left. You haven't connected. And I don't know what happened on the route, um, but, I mean, there was nobody in the area. If they broke off the route, whatever it was... But, I mean, you're giving Pitt the chance to get the ball back. And, and I just, to me, that is just bad football. I, I don't, there's no way around it. Sure, okay, I get it. You want to be aggressive. You want to go for the kill shot. But it hasn't worked all day. And plus, on the previous drive, 
you kind of have that third and two little surrender handoff to Devin Ford. So to me, that's like two different schools of thought there. Of like one, you're playing for field position, and then you're like, ah, eh, the heck with it. We're just going to air it out on third and four. I, I really, really perplexing. Well, if you looked at the situation too. There were a few plays where they didn't take the play clock all the mm-hmm. way down. And it's like, okay, like you're, you're clearly trying to milk the clock on this drive and, and a few first downs with, with a Pitt's timeout situation, you're going to win the game. And we've seen this before, you know, the struggle to put away games. Clock management like, is they, they, not good. You know, one criticism of the offensive style, I think, is just that, you know, when they need to get a push up front, they often don't get it. Yeah. And when you're running, you know, an RPO-based offense, which has worked very well in many respects for Penn State, I do think it, it might be a legitimate criticism of the offense in these situations where it's kind of been we've repeatedly see it be a problem, them struggle to put it away. And then you add in the clock management, which I think was a problem. And then, on, you know, I don't even necessarily, like I'm not totally against throwing the ball in third and four. If you feel like you have the right play to beat them and you move the chains, the game's But over. it goes something underneath, and, you know? But, but I don't know what that, I, I don't know what they were doing Yeah. There. Like, I, why are, I, 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 again, I appreciate that Penn State is, you know, 2016, that team, was a big play machine. They were aggressive. They developed an identity. They went from one of the most unwatchable offenses in the country to like the most fun team in the country. Yeah. And that's partly because they had Saquon Barkley, but they were aggressive. They were fun. They took shots, but they took calculated shots and it just seemed to be a better pattern of when they took them. This week, I just, there was just no rhythm, no flow, which is exactly what we said last week too. And, you know, Pitt, played good defense against it they, they hit Clifford and I just you know the the first down shots weren't working so I don't know why they kept going back to him and then you know third and four it hasn't worked all game why is it going to work now with the game on the line like it just it didn't you know Matt third and four um here's a perfect opportunity to remember that you have Pat Fryermuth on your team and that, that I mean I, I just and I go back to the the previous sequence where they the, the drive before that where they had um, third and two, and they don't get it. I believe it was that same drive. If you lo- went back, and I, I did, you look at their personnel. I'm sorry, this is the final drive of the third quarter. So third and seven, you know, you're, you're in a big, big key situation here. Um, their personnel in that instance included Ricky Slade, backup tight end Nick Bowers, backup receiver Dan Chisena, backup receiver Mac Hippenhammer, and the starter Justin Shorter. Why weren't your top players on the field? I get it. I don't it. know. I don't get I it. Mean, I, I, I don't get it. No, I don't I, get I it. I mean, I, I understand <laughs> that you want to build depth in non-conference play, and you want to do that. But you're in a close game. I mean— you got to win the game. It, yeah, this is an—like, okay, you, you know, this is an ACC team that has beaten Clemson in recent years. They ruined Miami's undefeated season a couple years. You know, Pitt's not some playoff contender, not going to win the ACC title, but they have players. And, you know, this is an ACC team that has won high-profile games. Like, I— the rotation thing I understand as well. Like early in the season, they want to get a guys, they want to get guys meaningful reps in, in real games early in the season, and that makes sense against Idaho. It partially makes sense against Buffalo, as we saw. It didn't make yeah. sense for a half apparently. And like even against Pitt, if you want to get some guys time, okay. But you got to win but the game. <laughs> at, at some point, you got to realize, wait a second, this game isn't quite going how we expected. It's a seven-point game. We need to get some first downs and win this win this football game. Like you gotta, you know, this okay. This doesn't count toward the Big Ten standings, but it's not a preseason game. Like you're Penn State, you're preseason top fifteen. 
I don't think this is going to be a playoff team, but you're still trying. That, that's the goal, yeah. you know, right? Like, and you got to win this game. And and I think that's something that it's, it, it's like it was, sometimes it's like it's treated as a preseason game in terms of the rotations. It just it just feels like that in terms of at least when the guys are on when the rotations are being deployed. I like, agree, especially because we've seen, you know, yeah, they want they want to get. I keep saying this. Okay, they won, but the types of things that happened in the fourth quarter on offense are the types of things that have been happening in the fourth quarter on offense and have cost them games. And Pitt is not Ohio State. It's not Michigan. It's They're not even Michigan great, State. Matt. Forget about elite. They're not even great. <laughs> and those are the types of teams that if you do this, they will beat you. If Ohio State had four first and goal, they would have scored a touchdown and they would not have kicked that field goal. Well, and, 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 and to your point goal. there, man, and, back to the goal line stand and not having your players on the field. Micah Parsons was on the sideline during that goal line stand. Jesse Lucchetta was in. Again, I understand you feel confident in these guys and it worked out in their favor. Micah Parsons played the best game of his career. Yeah. I think we're comfortable saying yes. that, right? He was fantastic in this game. In a game in which the pass rush didn't show up, in which you tore Gross Matos, who did come off the field yeah. briefly at some point, but was back on there. It was kind of a non-factor in this yeah. game, honestly. I very, mean, very I'm quiet sure, game. You know, watch it closely. I'm sure Pitt did things to take him away. But, you know, the, the pass rush just didn't, you know, Shaka Tony got close a couple times, but they just did not get home. They could not get, they could not hit Kenny Pickett, which is partially a testament to Kenny Pickett being kind of a slippery quarterback back there. But they just did not get home. And Michael Parsons, though, was the guy who made some big plays, made a couple plays in the backfield, was just constantly all around the ball, flying around the ball. Looks like a guy who's going to generate a turnover at some point, clearly. But for him not to be on the field in a key situation, I don't know. It ended up working out, and you can, for all of Pitt's good decision making, like I think Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator, had a, had yeah. a fantastic game in the passing game. It's a great hire for Pitt. Uh, but you know their their play calling in, in the red zone helped Penn State out too. Oh, it's brutal. Made some plays, and then and then to we, I mean, we can get to it because I think Penn State, some of Penn State's game management problems here were were overshadowed by Pitt kicking that field goal, which I just uh, yeah. What? Uh, <laughs> like they had they had it was under five minutes left. They had one timeout left, right? Yeah. It was only one timeout. And they're down by seven points. A field goal gets you within four. So if you kick a field goal, you still need a touchdown. Uh, and they did end up getting the ball back and having a chance, but I just was baffled there. You are on the goal line. Go score and tie the if game you can't get it in from the one yard line you don't deserve to win i mean that's exactly it, to me it was it's, a, it's like the old school mentality it's exactly right i mean it, it's, it's and even it was interesting matt on sunday when i went back and listened listen to the broadcast and you know todd blackledge is saying he's like oh well they're definitely going to run it the next two plays you know they're going to have to run it and then you just see what they're doing and i mean cam brown credit to him it you know made a great play garrett taylor with a really key tackle uh which was a big play for him after i mean he was the guy who blew the assignment on the fourth and yeah. one that gave up the 36 or 38 yard completion. Uh, so, so a good tackle there, you know, good stand for the de- great stand for the defense, but uh, yeah, I mean, fourth and one, I, the stadium was stunned. I mean, I'm sitting there in the press box thinking, what in the world are you doing? And then of course they miss it. But after the game, Pat Narduzzi didn't walk any of that back. He's like, well, you know, you, you need, you know, we're playing to win the game. And I'm like, no, you're not like that's that, to me. That was just, You've scored 10 points all game. Yeah. <laughs> Pitt had some success. Obviously had success through the air, but, it, you know, 10 points is 10 points. It's not like 
you know, oh, we're going to get all these chances to, to come back and, and score more. So I, I mean, we probably just spent 20 minutes I, I don't get picking it. apart Penn State's <laughs> coaching decisions, and we could spend 20 minutes talking about the idiotic decision that was that field goal attempt. I mean, I just, all <laughs> over the field, I'm thinking, Matt, for, and we know being around sports, right? I mean, no one comes into this <laughs> saying like, oh, hey, we're going to lose this week, right? These guys spend so much time preparing countless hours all off season they work like maniacs but then it comes down to some of these basic things or things that we at least seem obvious to us and it's like man are both of these sides do they just outthink themselves sometimes like it really just makes well, you and, wonder and pit it's not like pit was afraid of being aggressive either yeah i mean fourth that fourth and one. and one was just a brilliant call that they, they they hit the you know they ran one player on a route down the seam and they hit him and it was it was like a brilliant play call because penn state obviously was not expecting it uh, Garrett Taylor, I think, said as much that he was not expecting. He, he was playing the run and, and got beat. And then they, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. One thing on Penn State's defense, I will say with that goal line stand, we can we can pick apart the problems they had getting to Kenny Pickett, the problems that they had some coverage busts as well, which, you know, part of it, you can't blame everything on the secondary because when the pass right. rush is just not getting home, the secondary, you know, is, is going to – guys are going to run open. But – Penn State's run defense was just absolutely fantastic, and we have to give that credit here. Pitt had twenty, even with you know sacks are counted in uh, rushing numbers, but that wasn't that didn't play a part in this because yeah. Penn State didn't get to Kenny Pickett, and Pitt finished with twenty five carries for twenty four yards, which Suffocating. that's pretty remarkable. Pitt's leading rusher had one carry for nine yards. Pickett had nine for seven. Next up had four for six. Now Pitt. This is a team that had two 1,000-yard rushers last year. They're both gone, and the style of offense has changed with Whipple. But you got to give credit to Penn State's defense for the way they played the run. I thought defense tackles played great. You know, yeah. it was it was everybody there. You know, I think Mustafer off the bench, but I think Shelton made some plays. You know, we talked about Michael Parsons. He was fantastic. Cam Brown had a so, good game. I mean, Shaka Tony yeah, was certainly I mean, very active. That was certainly encouraging since, you know, that's one of the big criticisms early last year was the tackling – and the problems in run defense. And they certainly, did, you know, there were problems against Buffalo, but even Buffalo ended up averaging like three and a half yards per carry. Like they just ran a lot of plays and, and moved the chains. But overall, the run defense has been has been good so far. Yeah, I think that they've, been, they've done a really nice job against the run. And I guess, Matt, the area of concern for me, for Penn State coming out of this game, uh, would be their pass defense. And that's something that we've seen the last couple weeks. And I say that because, yes, I mean, they, they made Pitt one-dimensional, which is every team's goal, right? Take away the run, make them one-dimensional. But Pitt still connected on 11 of their explosive plays through the air. And that was a number I went back on Sunday yep. and looked. Uh, Penn State hadn't given up 11 uh, passes of 15-plus yards since two years ago at Michigan State with Brian Lewerke. So that's to me, is a really startling number. I mean, you look at it. Pitt had completions of 48 yards, 16, 15, 17, 27, 23, 16, 36, 29, 21, 28. That's certainly way too much. And credit to Kenny Pickett. I mean, he made some great plays. Their receivers made some really nice and plays. And credit to Mac, the receiver there. Who yes. Just, there were a couple of those plays where it's like, Penn State couldn't have done anything. Like, yep. he just made the play. And sometimes you got to just tip your hat to the receiver. Like, it's not like he was wide running wide open down the sideline. Right. He just made two two incredible the plays. The one right around the pylon. So, I, yeah, that's with, yeah. with Donovan Johnson. I mean, yeah, like he can't and do anything. And on that fourth down, on the last drive, too. Yeah. So it's, you know, he had 12 catches, 125 yards. Uh, Pickett made some made some big-time throws. Like, I, I think he surprised us. He played really well. It's two weeks in a row. He's had good numbers now. 
But it, so it's a mix of all of those things. I think Mark Whipple called a good game. Mm-hmm. I think Kenny Pickett played one of the best games of his life. I think Pitt's receivers, at least at least one of them, yeah. was made Penn State pay. But it's also you know. It shouldn't be happening because Penn State's biggest strength was supposed to be the pass rush, and it, it didn't show up this game. They got close sometimes, and Pickett, you know, is, is it can be tough to bring down. He's that type of quarterback, but you know, Clifford was getting hit all game. Pickett was not, and and that was a huge difference. That that's why it was a seven point. Game. And you know what, Matt? That, that, that's the biggest. Why difference. why while you brought that up, that takes my mind back to this offense for a second too. We talk about you know the pressure, the duress that Clifford was under. Again, when you're going to all these shot plays, they take longer to develop. The guy doesn't have the time mm-hmm. to get it off, you know, as and is. It's aggressive in the first place. Right. Too. I mean, that to me is just kind of part of it, too. But I think the flip side of that with Penn State's defense, uh, James Franklin even said it after the game, which I thought was a very telling comment. Um, he has not been pleased with the pass rush the last two weeks. He thinks they can do more. And he mentioned, like, yeah, you know, they this whole team, this uh, defensive line, the pass rush was supposed to be – uh, kind of the, the best part of this team, and it really hasn't shown up the last two weeks. So I think they're going to... It's honestly shocking that they had three sacks. Yeah. Know, they have 11 sacks for the year. They had seven against Idaho, only one against Buffalo. The three sacks, I guess, against Pitt kind of came late because most of the game, it was it was obviously a huge problem. Yeah, because I Pitt know Tony had one on the, on the final drive. To have that, you know, again, Pitt only scored 10 points, but they had no running game, but they still moved the chains pretty consistently for a while, and it's because they just kept you know beating penn state in different ways through the air and i did not expect that uh, <laughs> bend did, but don't we, break neither of us expected that. yeah but again though what did, what did we pick we picked like 35 like, to, to score 10, 10 or something four, i picked 17 i think you picked 10 so they scored 10 points and it was kind of a bend but don't break classic performance from the defense in that respect so i am concerned about the pass rush a little bit but well I don't even know if I'm concerned. It's just I think it will pick it up. Like we even saw last year, there were problems with the defense early last year. They rotated a lot of guys, and then they ended up being a really good unit last year on defense. You know, you take there were obviously some fourth quarter problems against Ohio State and, and whatnot, but overall the defense played well last year, and I think we will see that this year too. We, we they've been good against the run. We know their experience in the pass rush. They have good players in the secondary. I think they're going to be fine, and and I think Brent Pry has also earned the benefit of the doubt Absolutely. there. So yeah, you know ultimately they've given up seven, 13 and 10 points. So for all the problems they've had, they're still getting the job done. And Matt defending screens. I thought that was James Franklin. Well, men- yeah. <laughs> he, he, well, he mentioned this for both sides of the ball. He said, you know, the screens need to become a bigger part of Penn state's offense, uh, but they also have to do a better job defending them. So that I think is certainly something that's going to get looked at long and hard during this off week. And it should, um, but, but I agree with you with this defense. I just think there's too much talent there that, that this group's really going to be problematic. Um, and I even remember going back to, I believe, it was the Illinois game last year, that Friday night in Champaign, and Penn State was using, again, all kinds of substitutions and like kind of substituting like crazy, and they were getting gashed at points, but it was like their second and third string defense on the field. And, yes. I mean, I remember asking James Franklin after the game about that, um, and, you know, of course he's trying to praise the opponent and say all the right things, but certain games when they feel like they're in a really good position they're going to go into that rotation even if it maybe is a bit of a closer game so I don't think we're going to see that change that much but I do think on the flip side Penn State's offense I just don't know how you keep going with four running backs I think at some point you got to trim that that rotation down well here's one other thing that I kind of 
wondered, at least wondered about last year. I don't know how true it was, but it was like they rotated so much early in the year, and then they get into a game against Ohio State where they they did not, if I recall correctly, because they had their top guys mostly out there, right? Yeah, except strangely enough, that's when C.J. Thorpe made his debut on defensive tackle well, during yes. that closing drive. But they, didn't, they did not rotate as right. much, but then you get guys out there who have not played a full game. Yes. Like, they've been coming off the field every other drive, and then against Ohio State, the defense just wore down. That is a great and point, yes. So it's that. That's my. I get it with the rotate. You, you want to get your backups. That, that's valuable. It makes sense. But it's just sometimes it doesn't feel like at the right time. Like they're just sticking rigidly to a plan, even when it might cost them the game. And then now I worry. Like okay, now come you know they're going to play Iowa. They're going to play Michigan. They're going to play Michigan State. These guys are going to be playing most of those games if mm-hmm. if they go as we expect them to go. These are good teams. So. I, I, I'm just anxious to see how the rotations play out and, and how much they rotate in the bigger games on the schedule. Cause the rotations did not really treat Pitt like it was some premier opponent. It was, yeah. It's, again, in some respects it's like it resembles a preseason game in terms of who's on the field and when, which is weird. And this, I mean, I think it would have been, cause I know a lot of fans have a lot of questions this week too. And I mean, as beat writers, we do as well. I mean, in the game afterward, you know, you get 12 or 15 minutes to ask James Franklin questions, kind of the standard time, but because this is their off week, um, he won't meet with the media on Tuesday. So he typically, Tuesday is when you kind of ask questions about the previous game and as well as a look ahead. Uh, but that won't happen this week because of the bye. And Penn State, you know, typically does not make their coordinators available. Um, I mean, they rotate through a conference call with the assistants and the coordinators. So maybe you hear from them, you know, two to three times a year. So for everyone who has questions for Ricky Ronnie or questions about the running back rotation or about the offensive line, um, it, it can be difficult to kind of get some of those answers just because you don't hear from these coaches um, as often. And that's, I mean, that's a lot of programs. This isn't just a Penn State thing. Yeah. But I know um, just looking at comments and stuff and stuff on Twitter, that's something a lot of fans have questions about. So we're going to learn a lot in the Maryland yes. game, I think. I mean, well, you talked about the Illinois game. They still rotated a lot of that in that last year on that Friday night early in the season. But they have an off week. They have a lot. They, they have three games to pour over to figure out. Okay, this is what we did right. This is what we did wrong. This is who should be playing more. This is who should be playing less. Figure out the rotations. I think things will look a little bit different coming out of the off week. Big Ten plays. It's like a reset, and we're going to get into that. You know, we have podcasts to do in the in the off week and before Maryland. So we'll get into that more. But you know, there's a lot to figure out over the next week, and I think it is a well timed off week. In a year, you know, there's two off weeks this year. I think it is a well-timed one to have one of them coming out of non-conference play. You know, they've got all these young guys got more time than they've ever played. You had all these rotations, and now they can kind of hit reset. And it's like a new, it's like the start of a new season. Almost. It is, and I thought it was it was a good point. Uh, Sean Clifford after the game said, you know, he was really excited to watch this game film because he felt this of the three games was the one that they can learn the most from because they made so many mistakes. You know, because they. They used all these substitutions because they couldn't connect on their shot plays. I mean, there's a lot. And to it's learn. a more comparable. He's not going to say, it, but it's more comparable in talent on the other yes. side. Yes, You can learn <laughs> more about yourself than, than the Idaho. Yeah. Game. So I mean, I think Matt, like you said, perfect time for a buy, um, both for them and for us. But I think it's also you know, good time to evaluate. They always say you know they self scout a ton. Uh, so I'm very curious to find out, and I don't know if we ever will, but to find out just what they're kind of self-scouting this week, what maybe they've learned, because, man, the Big Ten play comes at you in a hurry, and uh, it'll be here before we know it. 
one thing before we wind this down here, we do have to shout out something else positive from this game. Can we talk about how Jordan Stout made wow, the longest field yeah. in state history? I thought I thought you were gonna ha ask me about the traffic. Um, <laughs> yeah, the field goal, Matt. I, for all of Penn State's transfer talk in the off season, for all of James Franklin's disdain for the transfer portal, getting Jordan Stout, who I Virginia Tech, I think every week we're gonna talk about why this kid was not on scholarship there. Um, to get him to come in, the, come in here. And the play before that field goal, Clifford took a sack, so it knocked him back eight yards. But this guy just has a heck of a leg. I mean, to come out here, school record 57-yarder, that's a weapon for Penn State. I mean, that's something that they haven't had the last few years, and it was really fun to see. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk with Jordan Stout because Penn State um, doesn't let you know transfers and first-year players meet with the media, so maybe we'll get to him at some point, but... I just think you look at that and what it brings to that third phase. Um, the touchbacks, but the long field goals. I mean, I think this guy is going to be a huge future of this team as well. It's kind of crazy looking at the record book for Penn State. Before Saturday, the record was 55 yards by Chris Barr, who made three 55-yard field goals in one season in 1975. Wow. So it was, he had a three-way tie with himself in one, in one season. And now... <laughs> That falls, and it's kind of crazy. Yeah, you have a kicker who, and so let's not uh, forget about the touchbacks, which continue at a ridiculously high rate. He leads the, Jordan Stout leads the country in touchback percentage at 96%. I honestly don't remember the one that wasn't a touchback. Yeah. <laughs> uh, according to CFBStats.com, he's 24 of 25 kickoffs have been touchbacks. That's remarkable. And he made, he's made two 50-yard field goals. Quite a weapon to have to have a guy you have to have a kickoff specialist and 50 yard plus field goal specialist who is automatic. I'm sure he's going to miss at some point, but I mean he just drilled that, and that was just like a big in another kind of sleepy, kind of frustrating first half. It was like another after shot a 40 minute rain delay. About the kicker, but yeah, it's like you know it's special teams were such a problem, and now you have this guy who you didn't know was going to be a part of the team until a few months ago, and all of a sudden he's coming in and hitting the longest field goal in school history, and it was a seven-point game. It mattered. Oh, and I think, too, Matt, while we're on the special teams here, uh, we did see K.J. Hamler take some kicks out of the end zone, uh, which typically is kind of ill-advised, but, you know, he, after the play against App State last year, he's trying to make a play uh, in the third phase a lot, and, you know, he was asked after the game if there's a certain – you know, yard line that he's trying to get to when he takes a ball out. And it was a pretty funny exchange as KJ as serious as can be. He's like, I got to get to the end zone. I mean, that's the mindset that you want from your kick returner. He certainly has that in spades. Um, so I do think, you know, as much as we spent a lot of this podcast harping on what's gone wrong for Penn State as they're 3-0, and uh, the special teams have really, I think, done a really nice job so far. Absolutely. And, you know, it's credit to a lot of things you know i think there's nothing to complain about certainly with what joe lorig has done they nothing's really they haven't been making mistakes that that have really stood out and then you add in the kicker uh, or transfer kicker just everything is kind of clicked there and they're they're not losing games on special teams right now which they did lose they literally lost games on special teams last year so that that is something to praise and, and jordan, jordan stout's been like one of the players of the year so far just from kickoffs and two field goals but kind of kind of crazy to think uh but so they are. You did say it though. They are three and zero. They are through non-conference play without 
a blemish. I moved them down in my AP poll vote from, I believe, 10th to 13th. Okay. I, don't, I don't know what you think about that, Audrey. I think that's fair. I mean, I vote in the Super 16 poll for the Football Writers Association. I actually put them 15th. Um, you know, I, we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, with Wisconsin and Michigan playing uh, Saturday afternoon, that's going to be huge. But I, right now, Matt, they've just, yes, they're 3-0, but they just have not done so in convincing fashion um certainly not they haven't showed that there's a they haven't showed that they're going to be better than last year yeah you're, you're and, right and last year they ended up just being a top 20 solid team but there were clearly some problems wrong maybe they will end up being again we talked before the season this is a young team that is probably should improve over the course of the year and has a lot of potential with the way they've recruited the more the greater depth that they have but we don't know that yet. It requires a leap of faith to think this is going to be a top 10 team. Yeah, I, I still, I picked eight and four before the season started. And I mean, there certainly have been moments where it looked eight and four. But for a positive note from me, Matt, um, you go back again to that 2016 team that we seem to always be making comparisons to with this yep. team. And they looked left for dead against Minnesota. So, <laughs> you know, so things can change. They were 2-2 two and two and down at halftime. This team is 3-0 and oh going into Big Ten play. So yeah. it's, <laughs> so it's not all negative around here. Yeah. Well, on that note, we, do have, we will come back on Thursday with our Athletic subscriber-only podcast. So please subscribe to The Athletic. Check us out. Uh, listen to our subscriber podcast on Thursday. We're going to do a little something different in the off week and do a subscriber mailbag podcast, which should be fun. And uh, also, you know, check out Audrey's post game story from Saturday night and also her very, very deep dive into everything that happened in the game and upon further review, which is up on the site now, Monday morning. So please check that out. We will be back. We will still be here thursday for subscribers only and then back with monday for everybody wherever you listen to your podcast so please subscribe rate review we will be back in the off week here and uh follow us on twitter as well audrey is at aud snyder for i am at matt brown cfb and that'll do it thanks for listening we'll be back again thursday hey there listeners we are excited to share some big news our team here at the athletic and our friends at wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called the lead that we know you're going to love the Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. Check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on the lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do, what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. 
From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a that. The lead. Sports up close. <laughs>